0: Amen. Thank you, Micah and Worship Band. As our children slide out to the back to the Transformation Station, let me encourage you to grab a copy of God's Word or turn your Bible on, whatever you're using there. We've got Bibles in the under the chairs provided there. We're going to be in Psalm 78 today. Psalm 78. In the Bibles we provide, that'll be page 488. Page 488. Man, we could just stop right there, Micah. I mean... For me to live as Christ and die as gain and talk about gospel-centered discipleship within the home, I mean, if our kids would just embrace that and live that, that's it. We want them to know that everything is Christ. Well, that would be a different sermon, not too different. As you're turning to Psalm 78, I want to do a brief review of where we've been and then, and then we're going to jump right in. Tanner kicked our series off a couple weeks ago in week one with the title, Thrive Through Embracing God's Design. And we went to Deuteronomy chapter six, and we talked about our goal in parenting is to raise our children to love God. That is ultimate, to love God. And the primary context for that happening is the family. We see that it's mom and dad's it's parents' responsibility to train their children in the things of God. So two implications here. One is raising a child to love God is ultimate. That's ultimate. When we talk about surviving as a parent or a successful parent, we're not talking about a kid who grows up and gets out of the home and gets a college degree and gets married and gets a job and has grandkids. That's not our ultimate goal and trajectory. We, our ultimate goal and trajectory is that our kids would love God with everything they have. But the second implication is that it's the parent's responsibility. You hear us talk about at Redemption Hill that we want to be a church that just multiplies disciple-making machines, that we're all called to be disciples who make disciples. And the first context that we should all look to as we want to follow Jesus' command to make disciples, is is to the home. So we look at the home and we say, God, who have you provided already that I can multiply what you have done in my life? And so that was thriving through embracing God's design for the family, for parenting. And then last week, we looked at thrive through loving discipline. We went to Hebrews 12, and we saw the picture of God and how he, as a heavenly good father, disciplines us, motivated not by anger, but by love. And you may have been asking, why did we go there in week two? Well, the reason we went to loving discipline in week two is is as we look at God's design to raise children to know and love God, what do we find out pretty early on? Is that, man, our children really don't love God, they love themselves. And we saw from the, from the word of God is that we all are born sinful. We, we're born with sinful nature, and then we become sinners in practice. We become in practice what we are. And so it doesn't take too long to see, man, this sinful nature start fleshing itself out in rebellion to mom and dad. So how are we supposed to respond? We've got this great responsibility to raise our children to love God and yet I'm teaching them the things of God and they're saying no. Well, loving discipline is what God has provided us to shepherd our children's hearts so that they would come to know and love Him. If we're going to be parents that imitate the example of our Heavenly Father, then we can't just let our children thrive in their rebellion. We must lovingly discipline them and shepherd them. And what we talked about last week is that we can't just address behavior. We've actually got to address the heart. Because you can work on behavior, but if you don't address the heart, it is the heart that actually produces our behavior. Why do we do what we do? Well, it's because of our heart. You say certain things because it's an example of what's going on in the heart. And so we can can even do good things with our kids, like teach them that you go to church on Sundays. But that, again, is just addressing behavior if we don't ever get below the surface to address the heart. Which is asking questions like, man, why do I even need to be here? And so, as we lovingly discipline our children, what we're doing is that we're showing them their sin. And we're helping them to wrestle with, why do you do what you do? And, and the gospel explains that. That you, just like all of us, are born sinners. And you're rebelling because... You are a sinner. But yet, that's not the end of the story. The end of the story is the good news of the gospel, which is what we're singing about today, is that Christ came and lived a perfect life when we couldn't. And he died a sacrificial substitutionary death for your sin, for my sin, for kids, so that if they would turn from their sin and place faith in him, they could be forgiven. But not only that, It's not just about forgiveness. It's about somebody who's dead being brought to life. As we see in Ephesians 2, you once were dead in your sins, and by faith in Christ, you've been made alive. So that now through faith in Christ, our children are born again, and they have a new heart with the Spirit of God. When we're going to witness baptism here in a second, it's going to be stories of men who once were dead and who are now saying, I'm alive. And that is the work of God. And when that happens, behavior changes. Because the Spirit of God uses the Word of God and the community of faith to lead us to maturity in Christ that we would become like Jesus. That's why we looked at discipline second. So much of the early years of parenting is spent doing a lot of loving discipline through the three levels we looked at last week. Teach, warn, and then enforce. It's it's responding to bad behavior. But what we want to do as our children move older is we want to move from discipline to self-discipline. You see, I want to raise my child for the time when I'm not going to be there. I want to raise them to love God. And here's the great part about the gospel and loving God. It doesn't, when you truly have a heart that loves God, it doesn't matter what mom and dad think, you're living to please God. You don't need mom and dad to hold your hand and to walk you along. You've got a heavenly father who's guiding and you're submitting to him. And so the older our children get, we want to move towards seeing them respond to the gospel preparing them for the time when they'll leave my authority and that they can worship God through a transformed life. So today, we're going to talk about thriving through gospel-centered discipleship. So whereas oftentimes discipline is reactionary, responding to bad behavior, we're going to move to be proactive in discipling and raising our children as they respond to the gospel. Um... But this is getting more difficult the older our kids get. Because the older your kids get, you know what they're more aware of? Not just your voice, but many voices that are contending for their worship. You guys with me? So it's easy when they're young. I can corral them in, but the older they get, they are very aware of that oftentimes we're not even aware of the voices that are speaking to our kids. I'll give an example. We spent yesterday with a bunch of church planners from the Boston area, um, just fellowshipping um, up at Water Country. Um, Our our local network blessed us and and cared for us families. And and so we got back late last night um, after a full day. Um, and, you, and you know what that's like. At, you know the kids are wore out, and so I'm helping get my two boys ready for bed, and um, and and so they were they were getting their showers, and I'm I'm helping them through that process. And so Emmett is, is actually he's my older. He's seven years old. He's he's moved beyond. He's graduated from the Johnsons head to toe. You know type of type of deal. That's you know no tears in your eyes. And he actually he's like dad. I think I can use the stuff that. Um, that you use now. Uh, I want to be like you. And so he's actually started, been using some of my shampoo and some of my soap. And so, well, I, I, you know, a lot of times he's doing his shower by himself, so I, I, I'm not aware of everything that's going on. And so um, what I didn't know until last night is he started using my head and shoulders. And I look, and there's like a huge blob in his hand. Like, you don't need, first of all, you don't need that much. And second of all, that's going to burn your eyes. No kidding. No kidding. This is what he says to me. Dad, it's okay. I only use it on my head and shoulders. <laughs> and he's sitting there scrubbing his hair and his shoulders with the head and shoulders. No kidding you. He, he points to the bottle and he says, head and shoulders. I was completely clueless. I actually stood there and laughed. for That was the funniest thing. And he wasn't trying to do it that he's done. And, and he's a funny kid. We aren't even aware often of what our kids, and that's, a, that's an inconsequential, like we're looking at that, that's, man, that's not a huge thing, but you know what? This represents a larger concern, is that our kids are reading words and hearing voices, and when I say voices, I'm not being mysterious here, I'm using voices like Man, TV, newspaper, books, whatever, a school teacher, somebody at church, who knows, they're hearing voices that claim truth, and many voices are not inconsequential. Many actually have the potential to lead our children slowly down a path far from God. You guys with me? This is the why of this sermon. Somebody's going to disciple your kids. They're going to listen to somebody, and they're, it's going to change behavior. We've been given the responsibility. How do we as parents not shelter them from all the voices? Because you know what? They're still a sinner. And so you, you can't do that. Like You can't just get them to become a monk and like withdraw them. But how do I help shape them so that of, of all the voices, they hear the voice of God, and they say, yes, that's truth, and I'm following it with my life. That is our responsibility. So Psalm 78 is our text for today. And I believe it has numerous implications for discipleship. This psalm is about the authors recounting the history of Israel and all the great things that God has done. And and, and it's crying out, even in the midst of all that God has done, it's looking at Israel and the continued rebellion and unfaithfulness of this nation. And, and you're going to see some implications here as we read through the first few verses. So Psalm 78, beginning in verse 1, the Word of God, the voice of God, the truth of God. This is what the Word says. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Just pause here. Give ear. You're trying to get our attention. Give ear to what I'm about to say here. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. And let me just pause here because... I know we're not all, not all parents here, but what we're going to talk about here is not just applicable to children discipleship. It's actually going to be applicable to all discipleship because discipleship is discipleship, and it has the same goal of seeing people move to maturity in Christ. You follow me here? And so if, if you're, you, can, you can take these truths and, and formulate how you're going to go about parent, but also you can look directly at yourself. and say, how am I moving in greater discipleship? Let's listen. Let's let our hearts and our ears truly hear as he calls us here. Verse two, I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. A generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. Today, I want to share with you five aspects of gospel-centered discipleship. And you're going to see here, GCD, as we go through this, stands for gospel-centered discipleship. The first one is this, gospel-centered discipleship is God centered. Look back at the text here with me. Look at verse four. He's saying, I'm not going to hold back. I'm going to teach. I'm going to tell some certain things. What does he say here in verse four? We will not hide them from our children, but tell the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord, of his might, the wonders that, excuse me, that he has done. Look at verse six. The goal is that is that the next generation might know them and arise to tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God, not forget the works of God and keep His commandments. The reason He's so passionate is because He wants to see generation after generation after generation making much of God. Parents one of the most important things you can teach your kids is a high view of God. Get this. The goal of my parenting is not to make my kids think that mommy and daddy are great. Though I hope they they love me respond to that but that's not my goal i'm not trying to convince them that i'm batman or i'm superman or that i'm some superhero rather i want to pour forth the fame of god's abundant goodness primarily as great work of redemption carried out by his son jesus and applied by his spirit now let me ask you a question who is the main character in your home who is the main character if I were to come and just eavesdrop for a week, what would I walk away saying? This is the main character and that home. Think about these two areas as you're reflecting here with me. What do your kids hear? The first one is this How do you talk about suffering, failure, and crises? What do your kids hear when suffering comes in the home? What do they hear? Because you know, those often reveal what you truly believe about God. When suffering comes, what do your children hear? When failure comes, when disappointment comes, when brokenness comes, when crises come, what do they hear? Do they hear, but God. Here's a second area. How do you think about celebrations and festivals? Easter, Christmas, birthdays, anniversaries. What do your kids hear? Now, these aren't the only places. And I'm not saying don't celebrate them. But we want our kids to grow up with a great View. We read earlier in Psalm 145 Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. I want to kind of just open up for my kids the beginning part of searching after the greatness of God. I don't want to put a cap on that. Do you know why a high view of God is essential in the home? Because the only thing that can crush many of the fears your kids will face is a high view of God. What is going to prepare your child to face rejection, acceptance, failure, self-image, self-worth, friends, marriage, college, sickness, death, you name it. It is God. That's the only thing that helps me through it. Does anybody experience brokenness in here? Anybody experience pain, suffering, just frustration in life? Yes. But I know that God is my anchor. Gospel-centered discipleship must be God-centered. Second, gospel-centered discipleship must be word-centered. In the first few verses of this psalm, just listen to his language here. He's saying, um, he's talking about teaching. Give ear to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I'm going to open my mouth in a parable. I'm going to utter dark sayings. Things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. What's he referring to here? He's referring to the history of Israel that have been given to us through Moses and the prophets. What we read through here are truths that we have in the Word of God. Now, he continues on down in verse 5, and he says, He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children. We went back to, he's talking about Deuteronomy 6 here. You shall. There is one God, you shall love the Lord your God, and you shall teach this to your children. What are you supposed to teach your children? The law of God, right? The words of God. That's what he's holding out, saying, these are the things you teach. It is the law of God, and then we're going to recount all of the history of Israel to show the works of God. And you know, we're not going to spend our time going through the rest of this psalm, but what we would see with Israel's like complete unfaithfulness and rebellion is the great and awesome deeds of God. I mean, we could just start recounting them, just go to creation. Go to the flood. Go to Abraham and Isaac. Go to the Passover. You following me here? I mean, we could we could probably just do a collective group think right now and just say, look at how great God is. Look at what He's done. One thing after a number. And we could go to the Word and we could talk about that. And you know, we could continue to talk about all the great things. We're going to hear in a second some testimonies of the great things God has done. Gospel-centered discipleship must be Word-centered. And this is consistent with the with the focus and thrust of we see the role of the Word in our life. I mean, i got a few of them here that I'll share with you. Psalm 119.9. How can a young man keep his way pure? Amen. By guarding it according to your Word. Am I going to be pure? I'm going to guard my life by your Word. Matthew 4.4. 4. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. It is the word that is going to equip me to be complete for everything God has for me. And then Hebrews 4, 12, we've talked a lot about the role of addressing the heart. Look at Hebrews 4, 12, says this, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the intentions of the heart. The goal in my raising my children and my discipleship is I want to address the heart. Does anybody just struggle with addressing the heart at times? Can I give you some encouragement? The best thing you can do in helping shepherd your child's heart is just to open up the word and let it loose it'll cut amen and you know what the word is sharper than any double-edged sword oftentimes I feel like there is no way that God is going to change this person God's not God's too small for that I mean, oftentimes, like, I just want to, as a parent, I feel frustrated. I'm not a perfect parent, as I shared with you last week. And oftentimes, I feel like I'm throwing my hands in the air, like, God, man, I don't know what else to do. So let me encourage you as parents let's keep holding out the word to our kids and let the word loose. Some implications here. If gospel centered discipleship should be God centered, then it must also be Word-centered. Because the way you know about God is through His Word. Look, we don't just send our kids, hey, there is a God, and you go figure out how to hear from Him. No, we have the Word of God. This will never lead them astray. And so we must teach our children to read you know why reading's important? And what I'm praying, I love to see my kids read because, I, man, I want them to read the Word. It, it, it thrills my heart as I'm going to put Ava to bed, and she's opening up her Bible and saying, hey, you still been reading through your Bible? Yeah, where are you at? And she's telling me where she's at. I want them to read so they can read the Word, so that they can know God reading is important. So you teach them to read, you teach them to study, and you teach them to learn about God through his word. If you've been with us for a while, you've heard us. Who's heard about the seven arrows of Bible reading? Some of you've heard it. We've, we've talked about seven arrows. Well, you know what? If we just condense that, I think we could take four of them. That would help our kids. Here, here they are. If we just taught them these four arrows, first draw an arrow back and just ask, what did this passage mean to his original audience in God's story? Just give them these four questions. Hey, read a passage and say, what did it mean? Second arrow, go up. Hey, and this is going to complement our God-centered approach. What does this passage tell us about the triune God? So if we want our kids to have a huge view of God, we want them to read the Bible and say, what is this teaching me about God? So you go up. What does this teach you about God? Then you go down. We want them to have a right understanding of man. What does this passage tell us about Man. And then go forward. What does this passage demand of me today in God's story? And just real simple. And you know what we've just drawn here? We've gone back, up, down, and forth. And you can use a cross if you want to, and you can make it Christocentric and, and Christ-centered. Four easy questions to teach your children how to read the world, the word. But we need to be warned here as I've Been challenging us. There are many competing voices. As we talk about being word-centered to hear about God, we've got things like TV and books and magazines and internet and friends and school. And even in the midst of these, your responsibility is to make sure the word remains prominent and authoritative. I've referenced a book, I think we're actually out of it back here, called Gospel-Centered Family. And Chester and Mole, they give some great encouragements on how we are to do this as parents, and they say, first of all, shape what you watch and how you watch. Parents, this is important. We've got to know that what we're watching and they're sitting around, they're probably picking up, kind of like head and shoulder stuff. Second, shape what younger children watch. And it will surprise you, even on some kid stuff, the other day, I was laying in the bed with Zoe. She had woken up, and she was playing, watching a TV show on on one of the kids' Kindles Fire. And and no lie, this is what it says: when you get angry, stomp three times, and you'll feel better. I mean, seriously, is that is that how I want my kids to obey? I'm just all right. I'm all better now. I'm good. No. That's not, no, Zoe, don't. And, and so their kids are walking around the house, stoned three times and we'll feel better. Like, Is that how you obey God? Hey, God, God say, man, I want you to go make disciples of all nations. Yeah, I'm all good, God. Let's go do this thing, you know? Shape what your younger children watch. And then third, shape how older children watch. And so they say, man, as you shape how they watch, the reality is, is, I mean, the older they get, the less control that you're going to have over. And now you've got things like these that are going right into the bedroom. And so I'm not going to stay here long. But parents, this is a very dangerous thing. Do not be ignorant about this. Just asking as you're sitting there watching, hey, does that accord with biblical values? What or why not? As you're watching commercials, here's what they suggest. They say every commercial is going to promise you something like you can't live without head and shoulders or whatever, you know, whatever it is. And so to help your kids just even reflect what is that promising and can it actually fulfill what it's promising? To help them view things critically and not just in taking it and believing it. We must be word-centered. Third, gospel-centered discipleship requires teaching. Man, this is all throughout Psalm 78 here. Teaching, teaching, teaching language. Verse 4, we will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation. Verse 5, at the end of it, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their generation, that the next generation might go, know God, might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise to tell them to their children. And the content here was the law of God. Implications here, who should be doing the teaching? We've already looked at this, parents. We are the primary ones who should be doing the teaching. If you don't teach your children the great and awesome things of God, who will? Look, you may say, man, I'm gonna my goal, I'm gonna take them to church on Sundays. And look, we want to teach our kids, but more than that, we want to equip parents to walk with their kids and teach their kids because we may have them an hour once a week, but they're with you. You're the primary ones that are gonna be teaching them. And teaching is essential to making disciples. If we were to go to the Great Commission in Matthew, Jesus says, Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded you. When we equip people to go make disciples, we're saying the way you make disciples, it's God-centered and it's Word-centered. You take the Word and you teach it, and you call people to believe it. And so you may say, I don't have the gift of teaching. You may not have this gift of teaching. You may not be leading a small group teaching, but all of us as parents are called to teach. And just think of it, man, having a conversation with your children about the great things of God. Single men and women, I want to speak to you real quick because you may feel left out in this series. Do you know why it's important that you marry a man or woman not who just says they're a Christian, but who was seeking to love God with their heart. Do you know why? Because when you get married, one of the purposes of marriage is that you would be fruitful and multiply. That's, children flows from that. What are you going to teach your kids? Where are you going to take your kids to church? You see, a lot of times couples get married and then they kind of figure that stuff out. And it can be, it can, it can be a lot of conflict there. So, man, for those of you that are, man, know this is important. God desires generations to worship Him. And, man, that's why you need a husband or wife that is passionate about the things of God. Man, when should we teach? What did Tanner say when we were in Deuteronomy chapter 6? You teach them when what? When you rise, when you lie down, when you go for your walk... When you sit down, there's never a moment that you're not seeking to teach your children. We teach all day, every day. Does anybody just discourage by that? Yes. It can be overwhelming at times. Like, I can never just, like, get away. Because you know what? Even when you're not teaching with your words, you know what you're teaching with? Yes, with your actions. But let me, before I get there, let me just pause for a second. Man, what should we teach? First of all, teach your kids the gospel. You may say, all right, all right, I know it's got to be word-centered. And oftentimes what happens is, is we get stuck within all the little stories in the Bible. That, that's why I think one of the best resources we have back there is a book called the Jesus Storybook Bible. The subtitle here is Every Story Whispers His Name. Look, this whole Bible is not a list of do's. It is a story of redemption. It is what God is doing through Jesus to reconcile sinners to himself. Amen? So we don't read David and Goliath and teach our kids, you need to go be like David. But a lot of children's stuff is directed about just imitate a character. Jesus is the main character. You follow me here? Now, I'm not saying we can't get principles on some examples to follow. Paul said, follow me. But he said, follow me as I follow Christ. And so parents, in our teaching, just make sure you're not just teaching a bunch of stories and they don't know the story. you got to know how all the dots connect. And so one of the best things you can do is just go Genesis to Revelation and just maybe do it over and over again and say, here's the overarching story of what God has done. And you go creation, and you go fall, and then you go... Israel and you talk about his how Israel fells in falls in you go to Psalm 78 and just go to Psalm 78 and say look they failed they're not and, and the, the reason they failed is because they were pointing us to, we need somebody, God's son, who's going to perfectly obey. And so you, you bring in Jesus. Jesus all along has been God's plan preparing us. And then the church, the role of the church is to proclaim this gospel to the ends of the earth. And then you go to the last door and you talk about the new heavens and the new earth and the new creation. And that all the brokenness you experience today will one day be made right. Our kids need to get that story and learn how to live in it. So Teach them the gospel. Teach them the commands of Christ. Repent, believe, follow, get baptized, the Lord's Supper, pray, give, go make disciples. And you know what? We need to do this in a way that's not manipulating them. Let me, a little sidebar here real quick. Our greatest challenge, parents, is that we not only have this responsibility, we want our kids to love God. Can you make that happen? Look, you can't put your, head, your kids in a stronghold and make them respond to the gospel. Sometimes we think like we can do that. We can't. Now, what, what I'm doing is I'm just trying to get them in the river of God's grace Now, where does God's grace move? It moves through word and prayer. So I'm going to put them in the river of the word, and I'm going to let the word, the sword, do its work on the heart, and I'm going to leave that up to God. But I just keep putting them in that river, and I keep praying. So my goal in my parenting is not just to get my kids to pray a prayer. Does a prayer save you? No, Jesus saves you. You respond with repentance and faith. And so look, I know our attention is like, man, I want my kids to just get saved. And like, yes, but you want a changed heart. And that is the work of God. You put them in the rivers of grace. So even our teachers in transformation station, our goal is not to just, man, how can I get them to say the prayer? I want them to repent and believe. And so what I do with my kids, I, I, man, we should always share the gospel. Probably when we're having conversations. We'll go back to the gospel. We'll pray the gospel. And Let me ask you this. When you responded to the gospel, was that a one-time decision to repent? Was that a one-time decision to believe? No. You know what my story is? I at one time repented and believed, and today I still am turning from my sin, and I believe. Does anybody else believe? So it's not initial faith, though there's a point in time where you initially believe, as we're going to hear in these testimonies, but it is persevering faith, As God, by his spirit, walks with us. And so I don't have to manipulate my kids into a decision. I just keep holding out the gospel. And I keep telling them, repent and believe. And you know what? As your kids say, yes, I'm turning from my sin and I believe. I say, keep doing that. And as they show evidence of a changed life, we'll follow through with baptism. We're we're usually pretty cautious on baptizing kids because we want to make sure that they're not just wanting to get baptized because mom and dad wants them to get baptized. We want them to get baptized because they're saying, I'm following Jesus and he wants me to do this. You guys with us? Man, I'm getting fired up in here. But we should also teach with our life. In this same book, Gospel-Centered Family, Chester and Moll ask this question. How come my children know so much about driving? <laughs> Anybody else's children know anything about driving? They say this. Sometimes my sons are anxious about my speed and my use of turn signals. At other times they demand to know why we've not overtaken the truck ahead. Where do they get it from? After all, children don't take driving lessons. They continue. Like all children, they pick up on what's going on around them. They analyze everything they see and hear. So they've learned about driving by watching their parents' everyday driving. What's the point? They conclude. Driving is a great parable of our our role as Christian parents. We get on with the business of life. We work, we play, we watch TV, we help others, we sulk, we laugh, we grumble, we praise, we spend money, we talk about decisions, and all the time our children are watching, listening, and learning. Your everyday talk teaches them what you really care about. Your everyday talk teaches them how you love God. Now, you may be sitting here today, and and you may just be overcome With guilt. That's not my purpose here. Because you know what? If that's the case, come to Christ and confess your sin and say from this day forward, I want to make sure that my life matches up with what I profess. And what your children need most is not some, they need to see that you're the same person on Sunday as you are Monday through Saturday. And how can you call your kids to set their hope in God when mom and dad doesn't set their hope in God? God. So one of the most powerful things as in, in discipling your kids and in all discipleship, because, you know, the people that I'm discipling, if I'm teaching them to do something and they're saying, John, but you don't do it, you think they're going to do it? No, I'm saying follow me as I follow Christ. It's the same thing with parenting. So how do you get started today? Let me just, as you think about teaching, you could get, man, well, what do I do? Like I got to start a seminary in my class and like, no, I'm not saying that. Do this. Select an opportunity today. It may be a meal. It may mean a walk to school. It may mean a car drive. It may mean bedtime. Select one opportunity and then select an activity. Maybe a great step for you is just to pray with your kid. Maybe... It's to pick up a little book like like this that says who will be king and share the gospel with them. Maybe it's just to read through it and let them ask questions. Maybe it's a little booklet like this called my first book of questions and answers. And you just start going through them. Who was God? Who made you? Why did God make you? Teaching them the great, select an activity, whatever it is, and take a step today. The fourth. What is the goal of our teaching Gospel-centered discipleship calls for faith and obedience. You follow our progression here? God-centered, word-centered, it involves teaching, and our goal of our teaching is to call them to faith and obedience. We see this here in verse 6 and 7. Verse 7, so that they should set their hope in God, not forget the works of God, but keep keep his commandments. Our job is to make Jesus such a constant part of everyday family life that our kids both hear about him and learn by our example all the time. That's again from gospel-centered parent. With the faith and obedience part here, we can't just call our kids that God is great. We call them to repent, believe, and follow. This is consistent with the Great Commission. Go therefore, make disciples, teach them to obey. So we're not just giving them information, we're calling them to obey. And if we're calling them to obey, our lives must be an example. So we call them to faith and obedience. And then finally... I'll wrap up here. Gospel Center Discipleship aims at multiplication. And, man, this gets me excited. Look at verse 6. That the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children. Do you see this picture? You've got a generation, and the goal is to... To pass it on to the generation that's not even born yet, so that they can pass it on to who? The next generation that's not even born yet. The goal here is of a multiplication aim, so that we are raising up our children, not to just love God themselves, but to lead the next generation to love God. And this is all discipleship. At Redemption Day, we talk about what does it mean to be a follower. We want to grow in gospel community and mission. As a part of mission, I'm going to share my story and I'm going to go make disciples. What does it mean to be a mature disciple? It means to be a multiplying disciple. I Man says, "Why can't our kids be raised to be disciple-making machines? Is that too hard for them? Like, at what point do you say, you know what? Yeah, you're old enough. You can go make a disciple." Look, I want my kids to know that to be a disciple is to make a disciple. So, why can't a middle school kid go disciple a younger kid or a high school kid to spend some time with a middle school kid? And you go share your faith and you start teaching them the things of God. That's not too hard. And yet, oftentimes we handicap young people by saying, No, you just got to grow up. We, no, high expectations of our kids and let them loose. Gospel-centered discipleship in the home is important because we are raising up the next generation. Who's going to be the next generation of pastors and church planners? It's going to be our kids. Who's going to be the, the missionaries, the deacons, the small group leaders? It is our kids. Jesus says, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. We should hold that same plea out with our kids. My prayer is that we can collectively raise up children in our church who are disciple-making machines. Children that move from being disciplined to self disciplining themselves with the Word, growing toward maturity in Christ, seeking to multiply themselves to the ends of the earth. And so the point of today and of Psalm 78 and the trajectory here is this is that we should disciple your kids by consistently teaching them about God through His Word and calling them to faithful obedience. And if you don't have kids, go find somebody and do this with them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we need help for this task. Would you use us? Would you work in our kids? Would you empower us God, would you, by your grace, pierce their hearts. Help them to treasure Christ. God, help your word to be prominent among all the voices that they're hearing that they would truly hear that this is the word of God, that this way is truth, that this way is the pathway to life. God, even pray for kids that are are in here today, children that have come with their parents that, that have heard this word. God, that you would speak clearly to them. They would sense your presence and that they would repent and turn from their sin and afresh rest and pursue Christ. God, would you use us to raise up this next generation of laborers, of disciples who are passionate for your fame? I pray in Christ's name. Amen.